So what do you have planned for next week's episode? I'm writing it. Yeah. I am the one who writes. They're teaching a new system. Because they'll be eligible for next year's Eddie's, right? Live for the Mundangerous Psych Ward in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 142 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're losing our minds as we talk about insanity. But first the rogue traders face an unknown enemy in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the mind piercer scrambles brains in the character creation forge. So I believe that the first setting book for the Genesis system is now shipping Realms of Terranoth. What what is Realms of Terranoth? It is the campaign setting derived from the Rune Wars board game slash like war game. I guess it sounds like a mobile game. <laughs> it does kind of yeah. <laughs> Do you collect gems? Yes. Well, only in threes. Yeah, it's a pattern color, right? yeah. and not diagonally. Right. No. <laughs> is it like Pirates of Darkwater, where you're collecting the the? Uh, oh God, I don't what remember are they the called? plot the, of that. Yeah, Jewels of Rune. No, I, I can go it's ahead. It's Octopond. Say. It's the name of this of the country. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> Pirates of Darkwater was a difficult show to get into for a kid with a short attention span. <laughs> Look, okay, I was really into it, and then I don't. They never ended it, right? You were. It was like one of the f- first things I watched that was like serialized, and you were like, "Oh yeah, they've got like four gems. This is awesome, and they're gonna get all like thirteen of them." And then it just like pfft, the yeah. show wasn't on the air anymore. <laughs> and then you didn't buy enough action figures, so right? That's exactly. Congratulations! It. I bought no action figures. Um. Anyway, so I don't know a lot about the Rune War setting, but I am twofold interested in uh, in the realms of Tirnoth book one because um you know rune wars is a big property that i know nothing about so it's a total blind spot um and second because i am it's our first glimpse into what genesis will look like as a complete system mm-hmm. right like we talked about when we reviewed it that the core rule book is very much setting up a toolkit for the gm and players to sort of build the setting um and the rules that they need Right, and it, it's good. It's a good start point, but it kind of requires some heavy lifting. Um, but this, I I expect, will have done that heavy lifting and, and applied it to a given setting. So not only is it more stuff to draw from, but it's also sort of a, a blueprint for what the line of Genesis should look like. Yeah, the online Genesis community is rife with you know fan made uh, homebrew settings, which is exactly what it's designed to to facilitate. Yeah, and it's about to have a homebrewed birthright. Uh, war campaign because <laughs> <laughs> we are we're about to redo that because we hate drawing those cards <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we didn't mention that in the birthright review but god that combat system sucks it's super random super duper random Ugh. anyway yeah anyway so i'm really excited to you know have a full you know multi-hundred page uh setting book out there uh, with all of the information about races and equipment uh, that other uh, homebrewers will then be able to cannibalize in creating their own uh, settings. Yeah, and I also like that it is—it's truly a fantasy setting, um, so it will be distinct from the Star Wars line, right? Like uh, a lot of the of the inspiration, obviously, for Genesis came from what had been built for the Star Wars narrative dice system. Um, now we'll be looking at it from a fantasy perspective which is pretty sweet so we uh, plan to get our hands on it and give you a well I guess we're not really doing a review we're probably just doing a campaign setting episode actually Yeah. Yeah. good so stay on the lookout for that we'll announce it so speaking of a game system from Fantasy Flight (laughs) how about speaking speaking of uh speaking of announcements yeah leave it in leave it in shane where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign so the dynasty unwarranted campaign is our prolapse god damn it our prolapse (laughs) 
So the Dynasty Unwarranted Campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajact, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. Uh, we also located some Laz fire inside our faces. Yeah, so... Because we're getting attacked. And you also located a mysterious stranger halfway across the valley. Man, just so so many discoveries. <laughs> uh, none of it is loot. Right. <laughs> All so, of it is death. So first came Major Barrow, uh, who is uh, one of rival rogue trader Duhan Roth's armsmen, sent to broker a uh, an alliance between the two of you to try and get out from under the thumb of the Dark Angel and Inquisitor who are holding you here on Malajact. Yeah, his thumb is giant. Hers is very small and petite, but surprisingly strong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and after a kind of, you know... Uh, interrogating him, debriefing him, sort of understanding where he's coming from, you hear the aforementioned lance fire coming from the upper casements of the fortress, the sort of the highest levels. But don't worry. We are prepared. Trank takes some armsmen from the lower levels and rushes to the casements to reinforce them and uh, finds most people dead. Uh, and the survivors are heavily wounded and shell-shocked. So all that's left to do is uh, gather the remaining uh, men who are alive and get a situation report. Yeah, so your armsmen report that uh, these these enemies came upon them from nowhere. They were in amongst them, even between the casements, before um, any alert was even raised. Which doesn't make any sense because we are on the top of a fortress. Right. We are uh, at the top, and you that were, overlooks a valley. And they're, you know, they're in in casements, staring out the window <laughs> at the points of entry. <laughs> so how is this happening? Then, as soon as the armsmen got like sort of mustered and reinforced, and were able to to mount um, any type of real, you know, resistance, uh, the enemies like disappeared, like disappeared, disappeared, like retreated, regrouped, and were gone. Because, okay, so the armsmen uh, very nearly gave as good as they got. They did hit some enemies. They saw them fall. But then there are no bodies amongst the dead. There are no bodies on the ground. At least no enemy bodies. No enemy bodies. There's plenty of bodies. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of carnage. (laughs) But it is all imperial carnage. Uh, and then, and the most disturbing is that the reports are that the enemies themselves were either faceless men or sort of these mocking ghouls clad in all black with these strange lads weapons, right? They um, have a wound pattern like lads weapons, but seem stronger and didn't look like imperial weapons. Which intrigues Trank. New weapons. Yeah, and I mean, Trank, you use a pulse rifle, so... Trank understands that, like, you know, it could be a pulse weapon, something in that pattern. You know, there's there's other energy weapons, right? It doesn't sound like plasma, but it could be. Um, you know, so it either way, it's a it's a technology thing, right? Not a not a natural thing. But either way, they fought like they were drilled infantry in close quarters, which is concerning. Well trained ninja infantry with awesome weapons. Which uh is about the tipping point for Draco. So if if you'll recall, um, Archmilitant Draco. Yeah, the guy who's in charge of away missions. <laughs> Correct. He had a rough night, if you recall. Uh, he's short on sleep. He he didn't didn't have a a great uh, restful sleep himself. But then he kept getting awoken by um, the other members of the uh, command cadre and their lousy dreams. Right. He kept having to shake people awake who were screaming. He kept getting woken up to investigate strange bumps in the night. Uh, He's not doing so hot. And he breaks. (laughs) He starts screaming, they're in the walls, man. They're in the freaking walls. And he's he's freaking out, and you've got to get him under control. I mean, this is less crazy than it sounds, simply because maybe they were in the walls. We have no idea where they came from. Right. Also, boys and girls, get eight hours sleep, okay? (laughs) Otherwise, you go insane, and Zinch takes your soul. So... Draco is fully panicked, but still has chain of command. So against your encouragement, he still orders a full retreat from the uh, from the upper casements, right? Like he wants to consolidate all of the forces 
in the only safe space that you know for sure, which is the main hall, then after withdrawing, wants to resecure the entire fortress. Oh, so the, the main hall where uh, Trix saw a painting bleed. Yeah, that one? Uh, yeah, that one. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this will work out very well. Uh, don't worry, because before you can actually muster that full uh, withdrawal, you get reports of some more last shots. Uh, and we'll find out where they're coming from next week. So this week, very fittingly, we are talking about insanity and madness. Yeah, both at the same time. So so insanity is a is an RPG trope as old as RPGs themselves. Um, trope as old as time. <laughs> madness as old as rhyme. So uh, original D&D had mind-affecting magic that, uh, you know, hallucinatory terrain and all those types of things that, that induced insanity. Um, then Call of Cthulhu, not too long afterwards, had its own insanity track as damage. Um, and between the two, those have been, I think, ever present uh, in the hobby ever since. Yeah, I think we talk about, um, you know, every time we come across a, a game system where, you know, you have insanity points or, you know, it, it builds up to a point where you become crazy and an NPC. It's like, oh, OK, second hit point track. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's not called insanity. Sometimes it's called stability. You mm-hmm. know, Dark Heresy actually has two. It's got insanity and corruption. <laughs> yeah, well, corruption is more like... Different thing. We'll get into that yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so insanity is uh, mental illness, right? It's uh, A lot of times it's like foolish, frenzied, or chaotic and unpredictable behavior that befalls um, a character. Yeah, it's a, an umbrella term for many different game effects that aren't necessarily modeled well from the way they are in the real world right because you know there are lots of mental illnesses that don't make you like babbling and incoherent and willing to attack allies yeah i would really like for me to like max out my insanity and call of cthulhu and then like develop severe add (laughs) (laughs) i'm just non-functioning because i can't focus (laughs) it turns out i'm a sociopath well yes you're and you're an adventurer and (laughs) deep ones are real and squirrel (laughs) Um, so it's important to remember that um, what constitutes uh, insanity is judged from a character's baseline perspective, right? So if you have a realistic setting, if you believe in, you know, crazy things like aliens or, you know, the fluoride in the water makes the frogs gay. Whoa, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that is that true? Is That's that, true. Is that crazy? <laughs> Because we know they'll switch teams <laughs> if you Jurassic Park them. Look, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> uh, or, you know, um, less accurate conspiracies like Deep Ones or um, Elder Gods, those types of things. Uh, right. In a realistic setting, believing those things makes you crazy. Obviously, in a setting where things like that are more plausible, it doesn't make you crazy. Right. Yeah. Like uh, if you if you don't believe in deities in uh, in like a and d fantasy setting, you're a crazy person because, you know, they walk around on the ground and, you know, have a uh, babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like ball is like, hey, yo, I want a bunch of kids. Right. Like. Hey, I'm Tiamat, and I want to break out of my prison, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> Five-headed, multicolored dragon? Nah. Yeah, no, nah, that's uh-uh. not a thing. Nope. You won't get me this time, Mr. Wizard. <laughs> um, but then, you know, like, you also get into, into those sort of edge case situations where um, the assumptions of the setting are such that you need to really apply, like, uh, you know, more of a, a logical approach. So, like in Planescape specifically, um, where you have creatures that are sort of tied to not only an alignment but a worldview, right? Things like uh, like celestials who only see good as black and white, right? You're either good or you're evil, and that's the way that celestials have to structure the world in order to be beings of true good. Um, if they were to start seeing the world, say in Shades of Grey suddenly that celestial is acting insane yeah or you know you get the the rogue modron right right the, the one who like the autonomous modron um, excuse me like, a neutral modron is not lawful enough must be crazy right and, and of course they're still uh all their actions are very prescribed 
from the perspective of like a quote-unquote normal human being but for a modron crazy right but but even within planescape right like mortals are expected to have your normal kind of shades of gray morality so so it totally depends on who the character is themselves as to what insane behavior is because a mortal who starts to adopt that sort of black and white morality in planescape would be considered insane or you know is possibly ascending to celestiality or something in celestiality that's my fetish <laughs> yes we're too, yes we're, so we can't record on the same day we do vampire i know I, I i see the world in black and white but in sexy black and right. white <laughs> did you see how dark my black is it's because it's sexier i believe that the world is a vampire which of course is completely true right <laughs> Billy wouldn't lie to me. You're insane if you don't trust Billy Corgan. <laughs> trust your friend Billy Corgan, Derek. Look, here's a conspiracy I believe. Smashing Pumpkins sang the song 1979. Interview with a Vampire, published 1979. Think about it. I mean, wake up, sheeple. You know, it's turning the sheeple gay, too. <laughs> of course. That's, that's the homosexual agenda. <laughs> All right, so insanity. <laughs> Um, I think there are there are two forms of insanity insanity that manifest in RPGs. So, um, and and going back to the very beginning, right? D and D versus Call of Cthulhu. You've got your sort of temporary insanity and your more permanent insanity. Yeah, and if you think about it, these are handled very differently in game, right? Like a a temporary insanity is often sort of like handed down as an effect by the GM, whereas a permanent insanity is often um, like a result of uh, role play decisions, uh, or it could even be uh, selected by the character at character creation. Yeah. So, so temporary insanity. Um, you know, this is your your D and D stuff, like um, being possessed by a mind flare, <laughs> right? Like um, confusion, but a sexy mind flare. Okay, <laughs> stop. <laughs> the, this is the sort of thing where you're just like induced to do something out of the ordinary or, or out of your control usually this is like harming your allies aiding your enemies um walking into a trap or or ignoring your own safety um you know those types of of behaviors yeah you get a lot of these in monster stat blocks right, right. um the dominate person dominate monster spells uh an umber hulk's confusion gaze uh, banshee's whale all that kind of stuff ideally temporary assuming you don't die uh, but you know you're not responsible for the consequences of your actions like you have no choice in attacking your allies right. they don't usually hold you accountable for those actions and and what that means in the game is typically that you become part of a puzzle for the other characters to solve right it's it's not informing the other characters about your uh about your character other than that you have weak wisdom saves <laughs> right um but but what it is doing is saying you know as my allies and friends, you need to figure out what's causing this effect, how to snap me out of it. And then, you know, if you're in our group, how do I weaponize this? <laughs> like, how can I get a hold of that confusion ray? Because then I, I could do some damage with that. Yeah. What if I gentle repose its head once it's dead? Does <laughs> right. that work? Does that work? I can connect it to a, a battery. <laughs> what if I What if I know exactly which beholder stock? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a wand out of it. I like how it can also turn into a puzzle for the character who's affected, right? Because you are, you know, maybe getting directions from an enemy about how you need to act. Or, you know, you are confused and and you are surrounded by an illusion or your reality has changed or whatever, right? Um, The thing that is causing you to act out of character. It's kind of fun as a player to think, okay, how do I fulfill the letter of what is required of me but not necessarily the spirit yeah it's and, like the player's chance to interpret the wish spell <laughs> right and, and and it's it's almost like uh it's the the character's like internal like psyche underneath the effect trying to wriggle out of it right right and you know those are fun to play but they're more like an effect they're like uh, a sleep spell or like you know being set on fire you know they're temporary they last one or two rounds maybe yeah you know there's not a ton to do with necessarily how to role play it at least not long term yeah it's it's like a bless spell right like it makes you 
it makes you behave in a certain way better, um, but it doesn't necessarily tell you anything about the character who's doing it. Right, right. right. If the bard is like, you know, singing a song of valor and like everyone is, is boosted because of it, that's not you. Right, right. But if it's permanent, now it's a character trait. Right. And so, so as we alluded to, right, this could be a form of damage, right, that has mechanical effects within your system. So that's how, like, um, Call of Cthulhu and the Warhammer games and, like, even Knights Black Agents, like, that's how they treat insanity. Um, but I would, I would argue that there's also just role-playing consequences that can turn a player, either turn a character insane or make them seem insane to other characters because of how they're acting, Right, and, and the example was like Brand in the Morning Glory campaign when he thought that he had communed with the dead god Sybaris <laughs> like, and became a worshiper of a dead dragon god. <laughs> like, That was insane. <laughs> that was a total mental break. That makes perfect sense. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, given the evidence he was presented. <laughs> it, it made sense to Brand, <laughs> but it made no sense to anybody else in the entire world. Yes, that's true. He was deliberately misled. It was a conspiracy against him. Mm-hmm. Everyone's against you. <laughs> right, including the Traveler up until he wasn't. <laughs> he was always on your side. The Traveler has always been with you. Sometimes he carried you. No, that's insane. <laughs> it's true. He doesn't have feet. <laughs> right. Those can't be his footprints. But in contrast, right? this permanent insanity is reflecting actual character development, right? It's defining who a character is over time. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's important then to pay attention to like how you go insane, right? Like what are the inciting incidents that cause this? Right. Both the things that are leading up to it as you probably like lower your sanity score or stability, whatever it is. Um, and the the sort of straw that broke the camel's back, right? Both of those probably manifest in some way in how your insanity plays out afterward. Yeah, like, because if you think about it, like, taking, like, a Call of Cthulhu investigator, right? Like, if you're continually losing your grip on reality, and yet you're still compelled to continue investigating, like, this, you know, uh, deep ones or whatever it is, right? Like, even when faced with, like, the knowledge that you are losing your grip that's that's one very dedicated to a purpose but two possibly uh insane in its own right which maybe actually has some benefits when you're doing certain kinds of investigations <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it certainly doesn't warhammer <laughs> <laughs> i'm too crazy not to deny the witch <laughs> uh, so the other thing you need to consider is how you may eventually come back from the brink of insanity or, or you know, how you might end up being cured. Like um, Eclipse Phase deals with plenty of mental illnesses, but you have a little artificial intelligence that can give you constant psychotherapy, which can eventually cure those mental illnesses. Yeah, Knights Black Agents actually has a few different um, sort of places that you retreat to in order to like regain your stability right so they have like your solace um like i I can't remember what all the terms are but it's like um the place that you go to feel safe like the person you go to to feel safe and then like the uh the routine or whatever that you kind of like embrace in order to like kind of just regain your focus and you know come to grips with the fact that vampires are infiltrating all of governments across the world and uh you've got a rather uphill battle and of course, if you're playing something like Call of Cthulhu, you don't come back. No, there, there ain't none. <laughs> like all you can do is try and leave a uh, a trail for the next guy coming along to maybe pick it up and advance it a little bit further. You're helping them, right? You're helping them. Yeah, I'm cursing them <laughs> with their own inevitable insanity. But yeah, helping. All right. So if you are playing in a game where insanity or madness is playing a big role, uh, either you've got actual rules um i think uh, fifth edition has optional rules and then dungeon master's guide Mm -hmm. um a lot of games have them just written straight into the uh, normal game so you'll be using those but beyond those how do you go about role playing someone who is having a break with reality so i think there's two general ways uh and, and it's all focused on who's actually leading the 
insanity effect, right? So the GM can do it, um, or the player can do it. Oh, so the GM just says, you believe this, and then you do this. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, like, that might be the way that you do it for temporary thing, right? Is like, I just take your action, right? Because you are, because you have failed this and are suffering from insanity, like, you move one step closer to the the tome. I drink your action. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, not my favorite way to do it because it strips the player of agency, right? But it is it is a way that you can... Uh, if if absolutely necessary, that you can advance the uh, plot towards that insanity the way you need. There's a certain kind of player who leans a little too heavily into insanity and madness that I would definitely take away their agency for a temporary <laughs> like, like, bout. <laughs> I'm, I'm temporarily insane. Cool, I harvest my, my colleagues' organs. <laughs> Great, campaign over. Step one, get naked. Uh, no, you're, you're dominated. You, you put in a parka. Now. <laughs> for 1d4 rounds you don a parka um, so I think the easier and, and better way to do that is to just modify the player's actions um, you know if they have if they do have full agency and they're not being really like instructed by an outside force right if they're in control but insane um, take the uh, intent of their action but then modify the outcome of it right so I, I want to, um, you know, rush into the fight and like protect my friend. Like perhaps you don't have full awareness of who your friends are, right? Or you you can't quite identify who they are in the scuffle, right? So maybe it becomes a little more random than you would have expected. Um, sort of adding complications to the actions that players are already choosing. Yeah, this is more of a yes, but exactly. You totally do that, sort of, kind of. You you totally attempt that. <laughs> Uh, or you can also um, let the player make their own decisions, and then sometimes you just interject additional actions. Right. Or or say, like, okay, your player has to do this. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Right? Or I guess your character has to do this. Your player has to get me pizza. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Dragnoth the Ranger, your player must get me pizza. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For truly, you are insane. <laughs> you are compelled. <laughs> um, so I think the harder way to do this, and and the way that I have uh, was challenged to do it in um, in the Dynasty and Warrens campaign, is to feed the player false information. Right, uh, give them accurate information from their perspective but not accurate from the reality of the world you mean like uh telling someone that uh, darth vader killed their father when (laughs) actually darth vader is their father right that sure i guess that's insanity from a certain point of view (laughs) um but the idea here is that you are letting the player act fully normally and not not taking away their agency you're just influencing the information that they have to base their decisions on. Mm-hmm. And while this is the hardest way to, to do this in-game, it is, I think, the most interesting and potentially most fulfilling because from the perspective of the character that is insane, they are acting completely rationally. Right. People always act completely rationally based on the information they have at hand and the um, their particular mental outlook. Right. And so so this can play out, you know, if you are under like a, a particularly strong charm effect, right? Like the um the big bad has you under the effect, your allies attack the big bad and the way that you display this information to or relay this information to the character is so you see this craze like this blood crazed howling adventurer charge your best friend. What do you do? It's coming right for us. Right. <laughs> what What is it holding in its hand? Oh, a, a big sword. I mean, yeah, it's an orc. Of course, it's holding a sword. Right. <laughs> it's kind of got a weird shape, though. <laughs> and also, like, this way really only works if you have players that are, um, like, comfortable working within dramatic irony, right? Like, because... The truth of it is going to be there are four players sitting around the table, and one of them is is deliberately using 
flawed information in order to make decisions uh, for the entertainment of everybody else at the table, right? So you, you need to be comfortable with that sort of um, detachment from the character or at least detachment from the table as you're focused on your character. Right, and then have a way to integrate the, again, very reasonable precautions that other characters in the group will take when dealing with someone who is consistently viewing the world in a skewed way. Right. So the other way to do this, which is perhaps even more complicated, but even more rewarding, is to have the player lead. Yeah, so the player, as normal, fully plays their character, but then has to add that layer of insanity to whatever it is that they're doing. So the easiest way to do this for players is just to like lean into the chaotic element of insanity and, and use dice to determine actions and outcomes. So, you know, um, I, I like to do this if I am, like, uh, possessed by an enemy uh, in D&D, right? Like... I don't really want to have to choose which of my friends sitting at the table I'm attacking, especially when, like, you know, it could oh, kill me. a couple of them. It's me. You always attack me. Well, yeah, well, right. Duh. But that's but we're not friends. I've so killed you first, and then I have to attack my friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it is helpful if you can you can just say like the dice is going to determine who my battle maddened character attacks next, right? Like. I don't want to be, as a player, I don't want to be responsible for it, so I'll just leave it up to the dice. But for longer term, I think it's best to sort of get into your character's distorted worldview. Yeah, um, you kind of do this with any character, right? You come from a particular province. You, um, The ranger like has particular favorite enemies. You know, you speak certain kinds of languages. You have a background as a soldier or, you know, a carpenter. And that colors the way that you view the world. Just in this instance, you think all robots are going to take over. And so you have a problem with the hacker. Right. <laughs> um, or, you know, you have uh, an irrational fear of things that aren't particularly harmful. And, you know, maybe that doesn't come into play, but sometimes it totally comes into play. Right. So another easy thing that you can lean into to distort your worldview at the table, um, it's also helpful because it's, it's somewhat predictable for the players at least um, is to give into like sort of emotional extremes, right? So you don't get angry. You go straight to rage, right? You don't like you, you don't defend yourself. You are always like just outwardly violent. Um, you might suffer from melancholy or grief with, with much easier uh, triggering. Yeah, if you think about this, it's it's sort of like shaving down a normal part of your like, emotional spectrum, right? You could you could just say you react very strongly in emotional ways to everything, but I think it's easier to pick one, maybe two of these emotions where you sort of skip the initial phases and go straight to the extreme. Yep. And if you, you know, you think about it, you're playing a barbarian who rages. Uh, it's a very common trope to say they get angry, like very angry at the drop of a hat you know right. you take offense to the to the slightest thing and now you're in a rage <laughs> congratulations <laughs> and so we don't usually think of that as like a type of insanity or or madness but it fits the bill and you can you know slightly adjust it to be some other kind of not necessarily combat focused um event or or trigger and boom you've got a pretty easy makeshift um mental illness that you're role-playing yeah, whenever uh, whenever there's like a merits and flaws sort of system tacked on, and and you know, insanity or unhinged or those kinds of flaws are, are out there, um, I like to play them as hilarity. You know, so like you you find things that aren't appropriate to laugh at, hilarious, right? Sort of that Joker Harley Quinn kind of approach where um, it's off putting, um, but it's not necessarily like unplayably damaging to advancing the plot. Right, you're not at risk of murdering your fellow PCs, you know, right. but it is highly unnerving. Right, yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, like, you're not at risk of uh, of killing the king in the negotiation, but you are at risk of offending him. <laughs> yeah, we weren't able to um, save the crown prince. That is hilarious. Right. <laughs> the whole kingdom's in upheaval. What a joke. <laughs> 
Our whole feudal system is under threat. <laughs> no, we need to explain that he lost instead of cries. Right. Oh, it's too late. We're in jail. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so as simple as swapping emotions, right? Like what, what normally makes you angry instead makes you laugh. Um, or, you know, what normally makes you sad instead makes you um, hulk out. Yeah. I like someone who is crying as they fight. Yeah. I'm just so sorry. I didn't want to do this to you. You just keep getting in the way of my axe. I'm just spinning my axe over here, and it's not my fault that you keep running into right. it. Uh, no, no, these are tears of joy. These are tears of joy. Um, and I, I think the key here is that why they they might be like unnerving and, and atypical within sort of a, a normal social interaction as long as they're consistent they still make for a playable character yeah um and, and that's the the key here right because like a lot of times like just getting to the status of insane means you go npc um and then there's not really a whole lot to play with it um but if you have if you can introduce role-playing insanity earlier then you still get a full character arc as that sort of descent into madness occurs right and if you can figure out ways to be what we might call from a game perspective partially mad or partially insane right you're not unplayable you're just off in a way that um can have interesting role-playing repercussions i mean you can also just blunt an emotion right like pick an emotion and your character doesn't really express or maybe even feel that particular emotion maybe all the others are pretty normal yeah, I, I I definitely like that, you know, because because degree is an important piece of this. So like, I, I definitely like it if you have an insanity track, um, and and especially if you're suffering mechanical effects, right? You can kind of map emotional responses to those mechanical effects as well. So like, um, you know, in like a and D kind of damage track, you might have a penalty to certain saves as you increase your insanity, um well, what does that mean that like your wisdom save is is a little bit lower now, right? Or your intelligence save is a little bit lower now. Like now that means you don't read people as well. Um, how does that manifest in your emotional state outwardly? Yeah, I also like the inversions that you get sometimes in some systems. Like um, in 40K, if you're playing a, a Sororitas, right? Who are canonically all like pretty insane. <laughs> They're insanely in love with the emperor. Right. Which, which is where like all of their abilities come from, right? right? Like <laughs> they, they can't be corrupted by chaos because they are so insanely like Devoted. pure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, they'll actually get bonuses due to how insane they are on like willpower uh, checks. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like they have an iron will that cannot be like, and, and basically that means they can like, resist longer the effects of insanity so they can get kind of closer to the knife's edge um but they do eventually succumb <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but yeah they uh they have unshakable faith which is so unshakable it's a version of insanity right so if you're looking to incorporate madness and insanity effects into your games um start with just looking at the rules because so many games have them, especially ones that are like merits and flaws, mm-hmm. have them listed typically as flaws. Yeah, and <laughs> they tend to be broken up for more than just insane, right? They're like insane in 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 parts. Right. Uh, I mean, like Eclipse Phase has has things like um, synesthesia. You know, you get points for <laughs> taking synesthesia as like uh, a mental illness, hypochondriasis. Hey, hey, can you please define those in layman's terms? It mixes up uh, senses. You can taste numbers. Oh, sweet. For example, okay. smell colors. So, like, an acid trip is your flaw? Oh, yeah, basically. Uh, Quinn. I was an idiot for taking drug addiction. <laughs> yes, you totally were. Quinn, for example, has synesthesia and hypochondriasis, which I think gets me 20 points in What's, a build. Wait, is hypochondriasis, is that, like, just hypochondria? Yeah, he, he uh, believes he has, uh, he believes he's suffering from cancer. Okay. <laughs> which canonically does not exist in the setting anymore because it's so far future. Right. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, that's going to be like the opposite of how cancer works, right? <laughs> I think so, yes. Like, that's correlated to technology, not the other way around. Well, we cured it. We cured like normal cancer right. in, in the setting. <laughs> okay. He's like, uh, yeah, but I do have lung cancer. Yeah, we cured it in this setting too. <laughs> right. Also, he doesn't have lungs, right? He's right. he's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a lot going on. Right. My, my uplifted ape is just addicted to murder. 
Which is literally a thing you can be addicted to in a club space. Yeah, because murder is a drug. <laughs> yeah. Which makes you well, like, literally. incredibly murderous. <laughs> um, so we've actually drawn on a couple examples that we, we used in our in our own game. So in the, the Morning Glory campaign, um, there, I believe there was also an encounter with a Banshee where uh, somebody suffered from the Banshee whale and kind of became sort of possessed uh, temporarily anyway. Um, and we had to deal with that. Uh, we also had Bran's total break from reality for a solid like three or four levels <laughs> in the mid game. <laughs> and of course we were dealing with Lou the entire game who was our crazy warlock who believed that she was um, the reincarnation of a powerful entity from the far realm which spoilers turns out she was yeah that wasn't insane <laughs> so <laughs> although for for like uh, the entirety of the campaign until the last session uh, it was playing out as if she was insane because she was doing some crazy things right she printed pamphlets <laughs> <laughs> and pamphlets are always crazy she printed pamphlets to recruit for a cult named for herself the cult of lou and I think the way that Susie played this out worked really well because it wasn't disruptive to the party because she was a, she was a helpful crazy. Right. You know? Right. And all she really did was say, okay, I have a point of view. I have a perspective um, that this character fully believes in. Mm-hmm. And it is different from what any other, probably any other um, character that we meet in Eberron is going to feel, but I'm going to stick by it because of course it makes perfect sense to this character. And so it just sort of became a theme, really. You know, there weren't a ton of mechanical effects. It was, you know, if she picks a magic item, she picks one along with the theme of, I am the reincarnation of like a powerful entity from the far realm. Like I like tentacles and stuff. And Give me some chitin. Yeah, I like tentacles and telepathy. Right. Um. There's a, a Delkir who like wants to essentially eat my soul. That sounds like a good idea. We should go find them and talk to them. Right? Right? Oh, wait, we have to kill them? All right, that's fine. We have to kill them. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I gave you a chance. I thought you could be good, but you're not. So I will die. As the reincarnation of a powerful entity from the Far Realm, I have to murder you now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or die trying. Taste my eye storm. <laughs> Oh my god, yes. <laughs> she, instead of casting Ice Storm, she cast Ice Storm. I want you to know that I totally missed this in metagaming her one shot, but she totally used Ice Storm on us again. And I was just like, I was so prepped for dex saves. <laughs> Stupid con save. It's, it's very hard to play like a mounted combatant in 5th edition if you don't get targeted by deck saves much because <laughs> like, oh. you don't really get much of a bonus to con. i mean you always the eyes always hit you just need to take it yeah exactly the eyes have it the eyes have it yeah <laughs> the eyes carry um yeah and then in, i mean we're, we're in the middle of an insanity arc really um kind of the the way that the uh verza house plays with your perception and and also like kind of is literally driving you guys mad um you know but but mechanically behind the scenes as you guys had the the visions of the first night um it was like you know draco passed his willpower uh so he didn't suffer from the visions but the other two did so you know like that determined like how crazy these things got and then i totally gave them a crazy perspective of what was going on. Yeah, and I think one thing that worked well in sort of involving everybody in the the crazy visions that some people were having. Episodes, shall <laughs> yes, we call them? Yes. <laughs> uh, is that it wasn't secret, right? There was no passing of notes like, oh, you see this uh, and, and you see this because we were all getting different information, right? But above the table... It was just being said out loud, which meant that even if you passed your like willpower check, you were as a player, you were still getting the information of like what kind of crazy things are going on. And in a setting like 40K, you don't actually know if you're the crazy one who's not seeing these weird things. Or if it's the warp or, you know, something else that's inflicting it upon you. Exactly. Now, that's a little more difficult in like a very realistic setting, but um, I think 
having it be above the table still helps everyone be involved in um, even just one player's psychosis. Yeah, I, I think that's an important distinction from like other forms of fiction where, um, you know, where the question of the reliable narrator is like more compelling when you're when you're not sure if it is like the psychosis or the insanity speaking or if it's the reality of the world around them. You know, like a like an American Psycho kind of thing, right? Where mm. that that question is sort of the fundamental like interest of of the novel, um, but at a table where the audience has to be in on the narration because it's not really feasible to like shunt four players off to the side to narrate to one um then it, the dramatic irony becomes important right and so like you you want to handle it in a way that includes the audience right in what's going on rather than sort of excluding them yeah and it's fun even if you're not the character who's dealing with um, the madness to sort of sit there and go, oh boy, here comes an episode. Yeah, like you're puzzling it out, right? Because mm-hmm. like, it becomes sort of as the sane one, it becomes your problem to fix. Uh, whether or not that character is on board with that fix is sort of up to them. <laughs> <laughs> Lou. <laughs> All right, and I think it does bear mentioning uh, before we wrap up this episode that in real life, Actual mental illnesses can be very debilitating. They can be uh, sensitive subjects. Um, And to be perfectly honest, a lot of game systems don't treat them with the kind of seriousness that they require, right? You you get a system where it's like, ah, I will get extra points if if I take depression. Right. (laughs) Which is like, uh, okay, and now what am I going to do as a as a, a player in like acting out this depression uh will just happen off screen yeah but it's also like how do how can i be respectful of the other people at the table who might have these like real problems right right like, or know people who do yeah, or, yeah. like you don't want to make a mockery of depression as a character flaw when when somebody at the table might actually have trouble getting out of bed that day you know like it, it's just not fun to make that the joke um or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. We probably should have actually led with this. Um, we've kind of been treating insanity and madness as a, a little bit of a binary, but definitely more of a descent um, towards like sort of a, a total break with reality, um, which, you know, uh, fortunately in the real world is is rare, um, rarely the way that actual people deal with it. And in most games, you're dealing with, you know, the corrupting power of the warp. Right. You know, um, different kinds of magic. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's much uh, less common, at least in RPGs, where you have a, an extremely realistic setting where uh, like real life mental illnesses are sort of playing out. But if you think about a game that I think a lot of people enjoy playing that is set in like a essentially what is the real world, uh, you look at every everyone is John, which the central premise of that game is that everyone is playing the same character they're multiple personalities of the same character yeah and so you you trade off control of this character john right who is actually the npc like is the gm's character and then you're each of the personalities sort of speaking to him in his head and the the premise of the game is that you're trying to get john to do these like insanely over-the-top stunts basically uh you know like just ridiculously um unrealistic actions uh in order to score points right to create this sort of slapstick narrative so this is essentially a mental illness played for laughs yeah and i think it's just important to remember that you are making the same decisions that you're doing with any other game is making sure everyone is okay with it and that we're all on the same page and that no one is feeling like uh, they're being left out or they're being ridiculed for something they can't control. Right. Um, and also I think the the fact that the game requires you to set up such like over the top kind of things, you know, like, I mean, one of the top tier goals like in, in games is like <laughs> go to outer space. <laughs> like you're just a random person on the street and like you have to get to space somehow in this narrative, right? Like, it's meant to be sort of so hyper real that it loses that sort of emotional grounding in reality. 
So for the most part, I would say if you find yourself presented with uh, a choice that really sort of underplays the seriousness of these in a setting that would actually take these seriously, that is played realistically, just don't do it. Avoid it. Because there's no drawback to like not having it in your game. Right. And as always, right, um, if a player at your table is concerned about the the nature of the subject matter, then move on from it. Just don't engage with it. Like the happiness and safety of the players at the table is far more important than whatever dramatic value you were going to extract from it. So in conclusion, I think we like to lean in the direction of like supernatural um, or, or like uh, highly unrealistic versions of madness and insanity the things that you you know can track on your sheet the things that uh cause uh strife within a party uh temporarily or that they can make uh, one character like extremely different from from another in, in a way that gives them a unique perspective but i think we almost never do it in a way that's attempting to garner some sort of introspection right like leave insanity in the game as fantasy insanity not some reflection of real life yeah in fact don't try to reflect real life with it because it's a a poor mirror right all right do you hear that ishan no shane i don't i don't hear anything i think it's in your head it's telling me to move on to the character creation forge listen to it i'm resisting because Go. before we do that, I'm going to talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Mind Piercer. That is like Snow Piercer, yes? Yes. It is a perpetual motion mind. A perpetual motion mind breaker. It is a brain on a train. That keeps poking you. It's got to pierce. Well, yeah, like, like all brains on trains. No, wait, it's a train on a brain. It trains on the brain. I'm I'm confused. You've done it. You've caused me psychic damage. <laughs> uh, Which is what this build does, I believe. Yeah. So the mind piercer uses psychic damage and fear and charm and dominate effects uh, and confusion effects to destroy his enemies from inside and out. Ah, uh, the one-two punch. <laughs> yeah, the from old, inside your brain. The old enemy within and enemy without. <laughs> All right, so what is the build? So it is College of Whispers Bard 3, Great Old One, Pact of the Blade Warlock, 17. 17 Warlock. I'd, I think it's been a very long time since we've done this much Warlock, if ever. Yeah, and it's a Pact of the Blade without Hexblade, so... So we know this is a theme build. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so College of Whispers is where we get that uh, that psychic damage. Um, so you get a lot of useful abilities with three levels of bard. You get jack of all trades, expertise, um, song of rest, and then bardic inspiration, which at third level you can use for psychic blades, which uh, adds 2d6 psychic damage to any weapon attack. You'll also get words of terror, which uh, lets you force a wisdom saving throw or your enemy becomes frightened, which gives them disadvantage on uh ability checks yeah unfortunately that one is a rather short-lived frightening um because if you attack their allies they also lose the status oh so you just need to separate them from the pack right attack the loner who has no allies or friends right and then 17 levels of warlock gets us about as much warlock as we've ever had in the forge (laughs) and it's a great old one correct so you're going to get Awakened Mind, which lets you speak into other people's brains, which is creepy right off the bat. Then you get your patron spells, which are going to include Dissonant Whispers, Tasha's Hideous Laughters, uh, Dominate Beast, and Dominate Person. So you'll have a lot of mind-influencing effects there. 
At level 14, you're going to get the really great Create Thrall, which basically just lets you permacharm one humanoid forever. Forever, yeah. And then speak to it telepathically whenever you're on the same plane. Importantly, you'll get ninth level spells through um, Mystic Arcanum at level 17. What would you take? True Polymorph, so that you're literally piercing their mind and turning them into, I don't know, a loaf of bread? Uh, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> uh, well, there's some cool new ninth level spells. Which of those do Warlocks get? Do they get Psychic Scream? That would make sense. That's the one where your head explodes. It would make sense. You're not in vacation. It makes so much sense that it's the only new ninth level spell that Warlocks get. Well, perfect. I think you take that one. It's definitely on theme. Uh, there's also a couple invocations that make a lot of sense. You're, um, because you are uh, Pact of the Blade, you've got some invocations that are locked up and just making your melee combat work. But um, you do have enough room for Dreadful Word, which lets you use Confusion uh, once per long rest. And uh, Bewitching Whispers, which lets you use Compulsion once per long rest. Hear me out. You take uh, the Levitate at Will invocation... And then you're a street magician and you're convincing everyone you're David Blaine. That is truly crazy. <laughs> Ooh, wait, wait. And you can take Tomb of Levistus, which encases you in ice, like David Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess anyone who desires to be David Blaine, including David Blaine, would have to be pretty crazy. Wait, 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 wait Shane. Ask me about my mind piercer. <laughs> All right, Ishan. <laughs> Tell me about your David Blaine. I mean, Mind Piercer. She's a street magician. <laughs> Named Chris Angel. <laughs> Davida Blaine. <laughs> All she, right. she started as a street magician, right? Hustling. Um, but then realized that really can confuse when you confuse people enough. Uh, you don't need to then have them pay for your show. You can just take their money, right? And she was found out by a much more powerful wizard and, and basically given an ultimatum. Uh, you're going to straighten yourself out and use your abilities for good-ish, or I'm going to turn you into a loaf of bread because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I'm a 17th level wizard. <laughs> really got Wonder Bread on the brain, huh? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> In fact... I bet he did turn her into bread for nine minutes. Just, wait, no, I think it's an hour. For 59 minutes. Right. <laughs> and then 50, back into her. 59 minutes and nine rounds. <laughs> right, and I stopped concentrating. How'd you like that? You didn't like that? Mmm, you looked delicious. <laughs> I almost cut off your crust. God. <laughs> hey, hey, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? I know I would. I think, actually, if you do try to cut off the crust, that deals one hit point of damage to the Wonder Bread and I probably pops it. Yeah, you would convert, yeah. yeah. you got to just dominate for another you know day until you get your spell back. <laughs> All right, so, yes, she uh, has been set Wait, on the... more to this character? <laughs> she's been set on the straight-ish and narrow-ish and, you know, wants to build her abilities so that she can take out her arch-rival, that Chris Angel. All right. Who's literally an angel. Right. Mm-hmm. A deva gone bad. Oh. <laughs> Are we back to vampire again? Yes, always. We're never forgetting it. God. A sexy vamp, a sexy angel gone bad. I, I hope we're done with this vampire-themed episodes. Wait till we come back to World Next of Darkness. Time. We're going to do so much. We're going to do Changeling. We're going to do Werewolf. Kill me now. Well. <laughs> 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 Did you ask me to embrace you? <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. All right, Shane, tell me about your mind piercer. So mind piercer. <laughs> so mind piercer. So my mind piercer is a spy master. So normally we think of the spy master as being the mastermind, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, this this is more of a you know a surveillance state mass collection sort of uh troll farm sort of uh intelligence agency right within uh within our little fantasy city 
um, sort of a, less of a spider in a web and more of just a, a, a disseminator of disinformation. Um, so using telepathy, sort of using all of these tricks at her disposal, she is able to, um, you know, get in, do a job, steal something, influence an outcome, whatever it is, but then leave such a wake of confusion that she can never really be traced, right? There's just so much data that she's collected and accidentally released that you'll never uncover all of the important stuff within it. Oh, I like it. Like, um, you know, a sloppy MO is actually what covers your tracks. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like Zuckerberg meets the Panama Papers. <laughs> Platamira Vutin. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about random character creation. And we'll probably have a short section on how it's garbage. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Promethean. Well, that's it for episode 142 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.